Hello, and welcome to the Lung Force podcast series. My name is Alexis, and I'm your Lung Force host from the American Lung Association in Buffalo, New York. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths in America for both men and women. People that you know are struggling with lung cancer, COPD, asthma, and more every single day. We hope to change the stigma that lung cancer only affects smokers, that asthma is only a mild issue, that polluted air doesn't impact our lung health, and much more. Our Lung Force initiative is designed to do just that. Lung Force was founded in 2014 in response to the rising rate of women being diagnosed with lung cancer. Each year, we host our Lung Force Walk to raise funds and awareness for research, education, and advocacy around lung cancer and lung disease. Each month, we'll bring you a few episodes covering different lung health topics that are local and relevant to our community by interviewing experts around the area and digging deeper into the lives of those affected by lung disease. Thank you for tuning in and joining our Lung Force. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Lung Force podcast series. We are now underway into season two, which is focused on lung disease and lung health trends, commonalities, and risk factors in the Western New York area. Today, we will actually be following up on our last episode with Dr. Joseph Chow on COVID trends and testing to bring you insight on the new COVID vaccine. Many of our community members have already been eligible for the vaccine or will be very soon, and we wanted to talk about some of the concerns and frequent questions that we have been hearing as we look towards a brighter future. The Lung Force podcast series is sponsored by our Lung Force presenting sponsor, Independent Health. Independent Health is extremely active in the Western New York community, promoting healthy lifestyles by giving people the opportunity to engage in physical activity throughout our cities. They also assist with healthy meal options and plans and personal health care programs. Visit their website at independenthealth.org to learn more about what they do and how to get involved with them. I am so excited to introduce Dr. Robert Zielinski, Associate Medical Director of Buffalo Medical Group, practicing medical oncologist, and an active American Lung Association leadership board member. Not only has Dr. Zielinski seen the COVID vaccine in action firsthand over at Buffalo Medical Group, but he has also received the vaccine himself and has witnessed the growing science and public use of many other vaccines over his 30 years working with them. All right. Hi, Dr. Zielinski. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? Well, thank you. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're really excited for this episode. Um, Before we kind of get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your current position at Buffalo Medical Group and even how you got involved with the Lung Association? Sure. Uh, Alexis, I've been a uh, medical oncologist at Buffalo Medical Group for, uh, oh my goodness, 30 years now. Um, For the last uh, three years, this is the beginning of my fourth, I've been the associate medical director here as well. Um, and that has put me um, by uh, uh, fortune or misfortune, depending on your interpretation, uh, kind of uh, in the forefront of our, our internal COVID response. Uh, I do a lot of the uh, uh, assisting with the management of employee health and, and so forth in, the, in these difficult times. Um, my association with the, uh, the American Lung Association goes back a few years when my wife uh, became ill with uh, what turned out eventually to be diagnosed as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Um, and uh, we lost her to that back in 2016. Uh, and we got involved uh, just just prior to that point. And I've been a, a member of the regional board uh, and uh, closely associated with the Climb for Air ever since that time. 
Yeah, and uh, thank you so much for all the work that you do with us internally and just in our community as well. I'm glad we were able to um, connect you with the Lung Association at one point, you know, so that's awesome. Um, so before we dive into the details of the COVID-19 vaccine, um, would you be able to give us kind of a brief overview for those who may not really know or understand the ins and outs, just generally what a vaccine is and how it helps protect us from contracting infectious disease? Sure. Um, the, the way our immune system works is that it, it's, it's sort of like us in that when it's presented with a new task, um, it has to learn it. Um, it. It has to sort of figure it out. And each time it does the task uh, uh, again, it gets a little better at it. It gets a little more efficient at it. Um, so uh, with a, 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 any sort of infectious agent, uh, a virus uh, in this case, um, your immune system will recognize that it doesn't belong and that it's supposed to respond to it. But the first time, um, it takes it a while to figure it out. And, and so when you get your, your actual exposure to a virus, that's when you get sick from it because your immune system takes a while to figure it out and, and start to launch a response and fight back. So the idea with vaccines is that we, we give our immune system uh, a cue that um, resembles, that sort of looks like, it's a blueprint that, that kind of looks like what um, the virus is so that it can start to learn. So that the first time or two um, it's exposed to something. It's this this harmless vaccine, so that afterwards, in the future, if that person confronts the real thing, um, it knows what to do, and it fires back hard and immediately, which prevents the infection. So uh, it's really just about teaching your immune system um, what's out there and what what we need it to fight. Uh, because if we leave it to its own devices, it'll usually figure that out. But sometimes it it it's you know, too little, too late the first time around. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when people get sick and potentially even die from the infection. So, so that's what we're trying to, what we're trying to get it to do. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so then kind of going into the COVID-19 vaccine specifically, um, the Lung Association does have a vaccine tracker webpage that kind of goes through what vaccines are available, what phases we're in. And I will link that below but I was hoping that you'd be able to um, give us a little more insight on what two vaccines are currently FDA approved and being used and how do those differ from each other? Yeah, the two that are out there right now uh, are made by um, two different companies. One of them is Pfizer and the other one is Moderna. So you, many folks will have heard those terms kicked around out there. Those are just the names of the companies. Um, the vaccines in their makeup are very similar, actually. The, the major difference um, to, to providers and to, to people uh, administering the injections is really in the storage of the two. Um, the, the means uh, of uh, packaging up the vaccine for the Pfizer requires a really absurdly low temperature uh, preservation process that makes it a little clunky, a little more cumbersome and uh, difficult because many facilities, most facilities don't have the capacity to store um, the uh, vaccine at, at these extremely low, way below freezing temperatures. The Moderna vaccine is a little easier because it just requires more, you know, standard freezing temperatures. Um, it still makes it harder, though, for, um, you know, really widespread distribution. You've seen 
on TV, things like, uh, you know, football stadiums and the like being set up in parking lots and so forth. Um, you, you can't really get those things. Uh, uh, you can't have storage capacity mm-hmm. very easily in those places, certainly not very quickly. So that, that sort of does get in the way of the distribution. But as, ter- as far as a patient goes, getting the vaccine, um, the two of them are really very much interchangeable for the patients. They both require two doses to get to, to good immunity. Um, they're both um, you know, administered exactly the same way. And so from the patient end, uh, it, it really is not going to seem any different. It's really more of a logistical issue um, for the providers. Um, next up on the list, there's a vaccine from Johnson & Johnson that uh, is coming before the FDA and is, uh, if all goes well, we hope may have uh, the same sort of approval in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, the nice thing about that one is it's a single dose. Um, so we won't have to worry about those those second doses. And that, uh, we hope, is going to start to ease the excess crunch that I'm sure our listeners have experienced like the rest mm-hmm. of us. Thank you for sharing that. So I know that Buffalo Medical Group has just finished up giving out, um, I think, around a, a thousand doses to your healthcare workers, which is super exciting. And like you're saying, just, you know, a step in the right direction. In general, for Western New York, what phase of the vaccine rollout are we currently in? And what are we heading towards over the next month or so? And in your opinion, if you have an idea when the general public could expect to be offered the vaccine? Uh, yes, we did get a thousand doses uh, to be able to administer to uh, our staff and other uh, healthcare providers in, in our areas who uh, had not been able to get access. Otherwise, the idea uh, about a vaccinating uh, healthcare workers first, even those who are not, you know, uh, first-line hospitalized COVID patients with massive exposures is, is to prevent us from becoming vectors. You know, we want to make our workspace um, a safe place for for patients who do have to come in to see their providers in person. You know, you want to be sure that your workspace is as safe as possible. So we want to vaccinate healthcare workers um, so that uh, we don't become spreaders you know, either. Um, so yeah, we were able to do that. I think uh, the 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 answer to the question about when the general public is going to get it is really very fluid and and very much uh, going to change um, from from week to week and even day to day as as many things have been in this. I think instead of being um, uh, roiled and rack and roll rock and rolled by uh, anxiety over the changing message and taking that as evidence that. Do any of these guys know what they're doing? I think we need to go into this with with accepting that the information that is passed out uh, is is accurate and valid and reasonable for today, but that the picture is changing on a regular basis. So right now, the projection is that it's still going to be weeks and weeks, probably realistically, um, um, you know, months before there's really widespread availability of vaccine mm-hmm. for absolutely everybody. Right now, New York State is in phase 1B of the scaled rollout, which means um, that we are, are vaccinating, you know, in addition to healthcare workers, frontline workers, um, nursing home people, we're vaccinating all people who are over the age of 65. Um, you know, we'd like to include the um, higher risk people, people with, uh, you know, coexisting conditions, immune suppressed conditions and so on and so forth, regardless of age. But it's very hard to do that on a mass basis when you've, you've got, you know, no clear way of, of documenting that or managing that. So um, that's a little bit unfair, I recognize, to, 
to people who are under 65 but but feel like and and, and are at a greater risk of complication from the virus, it, it, it's going to be an imperfect system until we get to the point where there's just enough around that we can just start giving it to everybody. Um, how quickly we get there is going to depend on uh, a couple of things that are still very much in flux. One of them is how effective uh, our, our government is at getting um, manufacturers to ramp up supply, um, how many manufacturers there are. So the approval of additional vaccines besides Pfizer and Moderna will, will help in that, that question, obviously. The more hands mm-hmm. uh, at work, the, 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 more, uh, the more quickly we'll gain wider access. Um, and, and those things are going to be, be changing on a regular basis. Right now, uh, we're at least a couple of weeks away uh, you know, a month or more away from having a, a major uptick in, in the amount of vaccine accessibility. Um, so that's why the projections have been, especially if we, we look at, you know, two doses then, um, that it's probably going to be into the spring, summer, before we really get big widespread vaccine accessibility and have a significant chunk, you know, the majority of the population vaccinated um, we're probably going to be into early summer before we get to that point. You know, uh, I like to tell my patients in, uh, in the cancer realm, let's, you know, let's prepare for the worst and then hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it might be better than that if, if the uh, production ramps up and, and, and we, we get, you know, greater access quicker than we, than we hope. Yeah, thank you for um, that timeline. And like I said, the Lung Association does have a vaccine tracker online um, that I will link so everyone can kind of stay up to date on that. But I really appreciate you going through kind of the decisions that are being made, why they're, you know, happening this way and, and what we can kind of look towards right now. So, I, you know, I think I can speak on behalf of a lot of us that we're just excited and, and waiting, waiting just to see um, just how it rolls out. So I know there has been a lot of hesitation, misconception, or just general fear of getting the COVID vaccine for a few reasons. So now that we've kind of gone over um, like what's going on right in our community, I would love to address some of them to help ease the minds of our listeners and give them just the most accurate information in one place. Um, So what is the COVID vaccine made up of in a simple sense? Um, How do we know that it's safe? Um, And people are asking if they can get COVID-19 from the vaccine. So in general, just kind of like the makeup of the vaccine and um, what we're putting into our bodies and how safe it is for us. Sure. Uh, So what this vaccine is, it's really interesting, uh, uh, newer, different technology. Um, The the standard uh, way in which vaccines were made, it it might be best to to start with that to understand that. Um, They're, they're, in the past, there have really been sort of two varieties uh, of vaccines. One of them is the, um, you know, termed the attenuated virus vaccine. And these are actually live viral particles um, that have been damaged, dinged, so that they they should not be able to cause infection theoretically. Um, and so it's, it's like giving the person a little miniature infection. Um, the, the problem with those, of course, is that those who, who do have a, a very compromised immune system, they might actually develop the real thing from those. So we have very few of those out there in use anymore. And, and this is certainly not that. The COVID vaccine is absolutely not that. Um, so I can put to rest the concern about actually getting the disease from this vaccine. That is 
uh, a biological impossibility from the makeup of this vaccine. You cannot get the virus from this. Um, uh, what this vaccine is, is uh, a variation on, on the second type of vaccine we've always had, which is uh, to give people little parts of the vaccine or of the, excuse me, of the virus, you know, chop it up and, and give them pieces of it that their immune system can form a reaction to. But the individual pieces themselves uh, are, are harmless because they're not a whole virus. They're just a little mm -hmm. chunk of it. Um, what this vaccine is, what's, what's really cool about this technology is they've harnessed a little piece of the, the virus's DNA uh, or RNA in some cases, but they, they've harnessed a little piece of the genetic material that, that the viruses have. So they, um, when the, you get the vaccine, you're getting that little piece of the virus's um, uh, genetics uh, into your cells, which then will manufacture that little particle um, just like the virus would do if you got the whole virus. Of course, the thing is, when you get the whole virus, you get the whole thing and you get all their DNA and you get all of the associated illness that goes with it. With this technology, you're just getting a little sliver of their genetic material, which create, helps your body to create that little piece of the virus that it needs to form an immune response. So in a way, it's a really cool, high tech way of, of doing the same thing that those um, older vaccines used to do, which was expose your immune system to just a little tiny harmless piece of the viral particle uh, to get it to mount a response. Uh, this is a cute high-tech way to do that. That's amazing. The science behind it is um, so intriguing and interesting. So thank you for being able to share some of that um, and hopefully easing some concerns on, you know, being able to contract COVID-19 and how, and how safe it is in that area. Um, another concern that people have been expressing are is the concern of the shortened approval time frame for the um, approval process of the COVID-19 vaccines? Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I wish that, um, you know, in some ways, I think uh, uh, the scientists are partly to blame for, for some of this, the way it came out. Uh, I think we've, we've maybe failed to communicate the message that this should be celebrated. This, this time frame uh, that is much shorter than typical vaccine should be celebrated as a triumph of worldwide collaboration and uh, a, a tremendous increase in the amount of funding that went behind this. The reason why, one of the reasons why many vaccines require so long to get out into public forum is because this sort of urgency and coordination uh, and focus uh, doesn't exist uh, because the urgency, the crisis surrounding the, the need for the vaccine is not nearly as great as it has been here. Um, the, w this is really a triumph of, uh, of science and coordination uh, across the globe to get this to move this quickly, this forward. It, it should not be taken as uh, an indication that things were done quickly and haphazardly and sloppily. Um, certainly when you, when you get something out this quickly, there's no way that we can tell you what the effects of this are gonna be two and three and four and five years down the line because we, we just, it's not possible. We don't have that, that crystal ball. But there's no particular reason to think that this is gonna be any different than any other vaccine in that sense, which is that uh, as with any vaccine, there's gonna be a, a very small percentage of people who are gonna have some sort of a significant uh, acute immune reaction to it. Um, they're going to have sort of a, a, a souped up greater response to it in the short term than we 
one would even want. Um, you know, so those are sort of the rare major allergic things. Um, but other than, and it's going to form this immune response, which is not going to be perfect. Not everyone's going to form that response because we're all different. And how long that lasts for us, how long it will render us immune is difficult to say. But in general, most vaccines confer that immunity for a very long time. Um, but many of them, as, as people are aware, if they think about it, do require, you know, periodic boosters, like uh, we all get tetanus shots every 10 years or so. Uh, we learned a few years ago about uh, uh, the MMR, measles, uh, mumps, rubella vaccine, um, that, that that was sort of waning in effectiveness. And we needed to make sure that we got a booster in, in our population because the diseases started showing back up again. Um, so that's, that's just not unusual. Uh, and I think the sense that, um, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last and don't let your guard down and you know, that's well-intentioned stuff because until we get um, a, a very large percentage of the population vaccinated, it's it's good advice to not let your guard down and not, not get complacent just because there's there's some vaccine out there. Um, but I, I, I really think that, that the sense that this was done haphazard and quick and I'm not sure we should trust this and, and they just slapped this together in a hurry to get something out there. Um, that's just, just really not the case at all. And it's, it's, uh, I think we're doing, uh, the public a disservice if we, we give that sort of notion, any oxygen. I really like the way that you said that, that this is something that should be celebrated, um, because I agree with you. And, um, even though it, it can't seem something that's, that's new because it is new, you know, and it's something that we're all kind of learning, uh, together. And, um, you kind of touched on another question I was going to ask you. So this might end up just kind of running into each other. Um, but you were expressing how this was a global urgency. You know, we had funding we've never had before. We had a, a sense of urgency and collaboration, um, between the entire, the whole world that we didn't need when, creating other vaccines. And in the same sense, um, this vaccine was still created just like other vaccines that we are very comfortable with. Um, so some of the questions that we've been hearing and seeing was people who are wary of receiving the vaccine because they feel that they don't trust our government at this time. Um, but you did touch a little bit on the fact that, you know, that it wasn't just us. We were, we were in this kind of in a bigger sense, you know? Um, so what would your advice be for people who who still have that you know, sense of nervousness um, towards receiving the vaccine because they don't trust our government right now. Uh, yeah, I think you said it there, uh, Alexis. This is a, a worldwide phenomenon. We've administered millions of these doses uh, across the globe. Um, that That's a tiny fraction of where we need to get to. Um, so it, it, it certainly has not made a dent yet in the pandemic. But when you're looking at data gathering, you know, uh, We've given millions of doses. And when someone has uh, a, a serious event or significant event that occurs in their their health um, after the vaccine, uh, it gains a lot of attention. You know, we hear about this case or that case, but you don't hear about the million, literally, other cases of mm -hmm. um, use where, where absolutely nothing went wrong. The overwhelming majority of people are going to do just fine with this vaccine. It's like any other vaccine in that sense. Um, some people get um, uh, a little bit achy, a little bit 
uh, tired. Uh, you know, when I got, got my dose, I had a, a tiny bit of that with the first dose. Definitely had it the second time for a day or so. Uh, and that's, again, that's just typical of the uh, immune response. Your body learns, your immune system learns. You form a brisker reaction the second time than you did to the first. Uh, and, and you feel that. It's one of the things that I think people need to understand that it's, it gets, um, uh, gets them confused with the, with the infection is that uh, a, a good many things that we feel when we're sick with a virus, you know, cold, anything of a, a, a common cold, is really you're feeling your immune response to the virus. When we give medications that we know are pushing an immune response to something in, in say, cancer therapy, for example, patients get this exact same set of side effects. They get very tired, they get achy, they feel just like they're getting the flu because when we, when we get those diseases, part of the symptoms that we, we feel are actually the result of our own immune system starting to fight. They're not directly because of the virus per se. So that's, I think, part of why people fear like, you know, they're, they're getting the virus after they get the shot because they feel some of those very same things. But, you know, it lasts for the, the overwhelming majority of people a day or two. And then, you know, you carry on your it, it, it's it's that's that. Um, so, uh, I, I just, you, you know, if you can take a step back and, and look at it objectively, these, these one in a million, you know, profound immune reactions or profound allergic reactions, uh, to the vaccine, the, the virus is way worse than that. Like you are far more likely to die from not getting the vaccine than you are from getting it. Um, you know, you just, you got to weigh that out. If you, if you're going to, if you're going to plan your life, according to the one in a, 10,000 or one in a million exception, you're not going to leave your house. You wouldn't get in your car. You know, this has been given millions of times across the country. The data was gathered on tens of thousands of people before it got this approval by the various government agencies. And as you touched on, it's not just our government agency. If you don't want to trust us, you can trust virtually any other government in Europe uh, and and in Asia that have all um, uh, embraced these couple of vaccines and we'll continue to look at the the subsequent ones that come out. Yes. uh, Thank you just for that sort of reassurance. You know, I think it's always good for listeners to just, if someone is a little nervous about on that side, just to kind of keep hearing it and, you know, keep um, remembering. And like you're saying, taking a step back, just listening to our experts, um, everything on that end. And thank you for kind of uh, diving into some of the short-term side effects as well. And, and explaining how, um, you know, the millions of doses we've given that has been reported, but um, the responses that people are feeling to the vaccine are actually, you know, very common. They occur in other vaccines. Um, I know one of my other uh, healthcare connections was even kind of explaining to a group of us that you can even look at it as it's almost a good thing if you're feeling a little tired or, you know, your arm is a little sore or just things like that, because, um, you know, it means you've had the vaccine and it's starting, it's starting to build up in your body and, and your body is starting to respond to it. So um, I'm thank you for just kind of touching on that and easing that concern as well. So another kind of area that we have heard some concern in we have heard from some of our fellow communities of different racial and ethnic groups that there's a fear of getting the vaccine out of distrust based on historical medical tragedies. So are you able to give any insight or relief on why and how the vaccine is equitable and just for all people across the board? 
Sure, absolutely. I can I can certainly understand that, um, uh, and it's sort of uh, uh, an interesting, um, uh, you know, I guess coincidence really um, that in our country, in particular, uh, there's been such a uh, an awakening of of racial sensitivity, and that you know every generation we come around and and we tend to think we've you know, we were deluded into thinking we've done such a wonderful job with. Um, you know, moving past uh, race and, and, and ethnic uh, differences and uh, embracing a, uh, you know, uniform approach. And, and then every generation we find we haven't done nearly as good of a job as we thought. So um, I certainly understand this. The, I'm sensitive to the, to the concerns and, and that the governments and our government in particular have not necessarily uh, treated people uh, of, of uh, race and, and ethnic groups, uh, people of color to generalize uh, very well in the past, and that sometimes uh, in, in the more remote past, uh, it was pretty horrific uh, how they, what they did, the Tuskegee Airmen, I know, weighs still heavily on people's minds. But these, these historical tragedies are, are you know, well embraced by our FDA and our government and our, our scientists in the world. And we uh, have, have established such good, stringent regulations about that now that um, I, I think that that anxiety can, can be waned in this particular realm. You know, we may have a whole lot farther to go in a lot of ways uh, when it comes to race and ethnicity, but uh, this virus, this infectious disease uh, is the most egalitarian thing in the world. It does not care who you are uh, or, or what you look like. Um, and um, the, the distinctions that we're seeing in terms of complications and mortality uh, do come across ethnic lines, but the, uh, the best interpretation of the reason why people of color seem to do so much more poorly in this is that it probably is a reflection of the ways in which we have um, failed uh, in other ways. It's, it's got to do with uh, socioeconomic status. These people are more poor. They are living in closer quarters. They are uh, more pressed financially to, to go out and get into the workplace rather than be able to work remotely on computer jobs. Um, the, the, the differential effect of race uh, on the, uh, in, in the pandemic uh, has really accentuated our need to do better as a society uh, in, in terms of racial equality. The virus doesn't distinguish, and there's there's no reason in the world to think that the vaccine is going to distinguish. There is no reason to think that people of color are more subject to um, complication from the vaccine um, than anybody else, and they have a greater urgency to want to be protected uh, because mm -hmm. of the the fact that the virus seems to act so much worse um, for those those other reasons. Um, people uh, of color have been involved uh, in the oversight in every step of the way. Uh, and I, I just, I feel like that, uh, I, I certainly don't want to dismiss the, to not be sensitive to the, to the racial issues confronting our country, but this is just not one of the places where it needs to be. It's, if anything, it's more important, uh, given those other issues for, for people of color to embrace this and look at this as a way out of this mess. Yes. Um, thank you. I think you worded that perfectly. Um, and I know kind of like you're saying, um, you know, this podcast is not necessarily a, about social justice or economic justice, but I think, um, healthcare and, and caring for the public health, it, it really does all cycle back in and, and it all ties in together. And I think that's something that we, um, you know, on a, on a local level, like you're saying a little, you know, need to be able to focus on a little more, but I'm glad 
that you were able to touch on the fact that, like you're saying, COVID does not discriminate kind of in the same way that we talk about lung cancer and lung disease. Um, it, it affects everybody and, and it may affect those communities more, but it's um, even the more reason for uh, different racial and ethnic communities to hopefully be able to receive the vaccine. So thank you for that. Um, and kind of before we get into how someone can receive the vaccine and, and everything along those lines, I wanted to talk about the topic of herd immunity a little bit and why it is so important, for example, that every community does receive the vaccine and is able to and is offered the vaccine and um, just make sure that we all are doing what we can for the public health. Yeah, that's a very important concept. As I said earlier, um, not everybody, just the normal variability in our immune systems, not everybody is going to respond uh, to this vaccine. You've heard um, numbers kicked around that the current vaccines are 95% effective. What that means is that um, the, the rate of infection among the, the population that received the vaccine was uh, that much less than it was in the population that did not receive the vaccine in those, those same communities. So that's what those trials meant. Um, but it, it, it unfortunately did not mean that every, you know, everybody who got vaccinated would never get infected. A few percent of people still got infected. And that just speaks to the um, imperfect uh, functioning of all of our immune systems. In a way, uh, we're sort of stuck in a, in a catch-22 here, if uh, people are familiar with that term, which is one of the populations we most want to protect because they are, are most at risk for complications from the virus are those who are immune suppressed. Well, as people have heard in the first part of this call, what's a vaccine do? Well, it asks your immune system to make a response that gets it ready to confront the virus. Uh, so it's, it's, it's certainly a, a circumstance where the people you most wanna protect, that immune suppressed population, are people who might not respond very well to the vaccine. The way those people get protection though is by this topic of herd immunity, and that is, if you're the only person in the room who's susceptible to a disease, but everybody else around you is immune to it, and the only way you can get the disease is because it's contagious, it has to be passed on from another person. If everybody else is immune, it doesn't matter if you're not, because you can't get it if everybody else is immune. So that's mm -hmm. what herd immunity does, is that if you get enough people that are immune to a viral disease, then those few who are not immune still are extremely unlikely to get infected because the virus can't work its way through the population. The way it's spreading all over the place right now is because none of us are immune. And so it can, it can spread from person to person very easily. Um, and and uh, un, until we, we get enough people immune to it, um, that's gonna continue to happen. So there's two ways to get to this herd immunity. And, and the scientists estimate that how many people do we have to have immune before that kicks in? It's probably at least 70. It might be a little more, 80, 85. We've heard all kinds of numbers kicked around. It, it's, you know, it's speculative, but we need a lot. Um, and um, if we, in the absence of a, of a vaccine, the only way you're going to get there is by when that many people have been infected. And we certainly mm -hmm. can't do that because as we've learned uh, you know, already we've only had, you know, uh, what I forget, I think it's about 10% of our population has actively been infected with this virus. And we've lost nearly a half million people 
if, if we have to wait until we get to 70 or 80 percent of the population has seen the virus, we're going to have millions of deaths, um, which is just, you know, totally unacceptable. So um, that's what the vaccine is about, is getting to that herd immunity so that um, those those people who uh, don't don't form a response because their 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 own immune systems just aren't capable. They're still going to be protected because the rest of us are immune. Um, so that's why we we really this isn't going to be over until we can mm-hmm. get it out there to everybody. And, and then then we'll know we've protected that five percent that that didn't respond to the vaccine. I am very um, happy that you kind of compared it to what we would have to do if we didn't have the vaccine, meaning um, you know what we've already seen being 10% of the population versus needing 70% of the population. I think that extremely puts everything kind of into perspective. And I hope some of our listeners on here can, can kind of look at the vaccine in that sense and think of, like you're saying, um, the deaths that we would see from not having the vaccine would, would be millions and millions and which is completely unacceptable. And thank you for that. I think that perspective is very important. And this is a common question we're hearing now that people are starting to get vaccinated. Um, once you are vaccinated, can you stop wearing a mask? And basically why not? <laughs> There's two reasons why we're, we're, we're not, we're telling people not, not to do that um, right now. Uh, one of them is the scientific reason, which is since it's 95% effective, you still don't know who the five percent that didn't respond very well to the vaccine are? So you still don't know if that's you. Um, until we get to herd immunity, so until we've had really widespread distribution of the vaccine, you you can't be sure yourself that you're not going to still get it, or that you're not uh, potentially therefore going to spread it to somebody who is still susceptible. Um, so in the short term. Um, we're going to be continuing to suggest all those same precautions be in place. Um, but the value is that, you know, you can't get to the long term without going through the short term. We can't get to herd immunity without getting people vaccinated uh, early on. Someone's, someone's got to lead the charge here. So, you know, we're not going to get to 80 percent or 85 or 90 percent vaccination if we don't start at 10 percent. So, um, you know, but in the meantime, we're going to have to keep taking those precautions until we get to that that herd level. Um, the second thing is really just a very practical consideration at this point, uh, which is, you know, I, I've uh, been fortunate enough as a healthcare worker, I did have uh, a reasonable, reasonably early access. So I got my second dose uh, about a week and a half ago. And so the, the data would tell us that by two to four weeks out from that second dose, you, um, the, those who will respond, the 95% are, are, have pretty good immunity. So I'm starting to feel like I'm personally pretty bulletproof at this point, um, which is, you know, is great. And I could probably walk around without wearing a mask. Uh, you know, nobody else knows that around me. The folks at Wegmans don't know that. Um, uh, they, you know, so I don't, I don't you, you can't have people put in the position of having to prove every, you know, time they go anyplace or do anything that are you OK without a mask? Can you show us your card? You know, it's just going to be mm-hmm. not practical. Um so until we get to herd immunity, uh, where we know that that enough people are are vaccinated, enough people are safe, um, we're going to have to continue to use those precautions. Um, but it's it's very personally reassuring to know uh, I'm I'm much more at ease going to work and seeing my patients who have cancer. Um, that the chances now that I'm going to infect them are very very remote. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, it's, that's a, a much more comfortable feeling than I've had in a year. 
my greatest fear uh, in, in our building is that one of us was going to unwittingly become a, uh, a source of spread and that uh, we were going to infect patients and lose patients. Thank goodness, uh, because of the measures that we have in place, um, that, that has not happened. It's just mm-hmm. evidence that um, the masks and the distancing, as annoying as it all is, uh, it really does work. It really does slow this down. And if you do it well, um, you can really, we can really make that dent. Uh, here at Bethel Medical Group, uh, you know, I just, like I said, I've been intimately involved in all of the employee health issues. We have had very little intra-work spread, inter-office spread. We've not had any known instances of patients contracting it, therefore, from a staff member. Um, because, you know, when you do these things and you monitor, you can shut it down uh, when it gets in. And, and all of our um, acquisition has been uh, out of the community. We've had folks who got exposed in the community. And then among office workers, you know, we're not having it shared around in the office very much. So these steps do work. And until we really get to herd immunity, where we know that everybody is pretty safe, um, we're unfortunately going to have to going to have to keep it up. But, um, you know, there, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here, finally. Um, and, and we just got to stick it out for another, you know, maybe six months, uh, get into the mm-hmm. summer and it's going to be a much nicer summer and fall than we we would have otherwise if we didn't have these vaccines. Yes. And I know. You're right. People are starting to, you know, get get tired, kind of um, hit that fatigue we've been hearing about and everything. And it can kind of feel like a waiting game. And in a sense, I it, it is a, a little bit of a waiting game, but um, in a good way. And we're on the right track. And for those of you who have been able to get the vaccine, someday we'll all be able to feel like that, which will be amazing. So one question that I did want to ask you about was just a question about insurance, because I know that that's a big, um, you know, money and cost is a big thing people kind of look into with things like this. Does somebody have to pay for the vaccine? Is it covered by insurance? Or how would individuals go about finding that out? Uh, as of right now, the vaccine is being given at no charge. It's uh, regulatory. Um, so you can't, uh, there is no insurance issue. There is no insurance mechanism because it's not billed. So okay. uh, uh, right now, everything is, uh, is a, uh, uh, you know, funded in a, in a governmental way. It's, it's uh, evidence, you know, testimony to how important this is mm-hmm. uh, as a national priority. So there should be no cost uh, to anybody right now to get the vaccine. Great. Thank you. And then kind of just closing out, I know we did really cover a lot, um, but just if you had any personal advice for those community members who are waiting to get their vaccine, what would you just like to let the public know? Uh, What can I tell you except what you really don't want to hear, which is patience. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all tired of this. We're all uh, annoyed with the process. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, this is, is, is another bump in the road when, when this is all in the rearview mirror and it will be in the rearview mirror at some point in the not too distant future. Um, we're going to look back at these couple of months and, and they're going to be glossed over in the, in the, the history of this because, you know, it was a couple of months in the scope of a, an enormous thing that, that devastated the world, uh, and the world economy. And there's going to be so much so many more bigger long-term effects uh, when we do look back on this than the fact that it took an extra couple months to get people vaccinated. The story here is that we're going to get people vaccinated, that this is the way out. And, um, you know, just uh, when you're living in the, in that, that moment and you're tired of doing this, I, I totally get that, uh, that sentiment that how much longer do I have to wait? But, um, 
we're going to get there. And, and so, you know, try to have patience uh, with the process as best you can. Uh, and there's a lot of trial and error here and everything changes on a daily basis. And we're all frustrated with that. But, uh, you know, eye on the prize. We're, we're going to get there and we're going to get there in the next several months um, to where, you know, we're, we're hoping that uh, by, you know, summer and fall, you know, Labor Day, uh, I hope is uh, looks a lot more normal than last Labor Day did. Yeah, uh, me too, you know, <laughs> of course. But um, we are all just in a team here together. And I think that's important to remember, too. So thank you so much for joining us today and being able to share a lot of your expertise. You're more than welcome, Alexis. Always happy to, happy to help. And uh, I hope uh, it was valuable to everybody out there. And um, stay patient. Get your vaccine when you can, please. And uh, stay safe out there. Yes. All right. Sounds great. We will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you again so much, Dr. Zelinsky, for taking the time out of your day to help us educate the community on the importance of receiving the COVID vaccine and helping to ease some of the public's concerns or confusion regarding the vaccination process. If you have not yet, please follow along the Lung Association's Vaccine Tracker webpage at lung.org vaccine tracker to stay up to date on information regarding vaccination approval and phases for dissemination. We highly encourage community members to visit coronavirus.health.ny.gov to find local vaccine sites across Western New York and confirm your eligibility. Have you gotten your vaccination yet? Let us know your experience by emailing us at buffalowalk@lung.org. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please subscribe, give us a rating, and even a review. We always want to hear from our listeners as well. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Lungforce Walk Buffalo, and we'll talk to you soon.